Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What you do every day as a writer is you have bad ideas. That is actually the living. You have bad ideas because you know that you'll get good ones. That there'll be a piece of gold in all that coal. <laughs> Somebody asked me what my what what if any skill I had, and I I think it's delusion. <laughs> Welcome back to Working. I'm your host Isaac Butler, and I'm your other host June Thomas. Hey June, whose voice did we hear extolling the virtues of bad ideas at the beginning of the episode this week? Well, Isaac, that was Supanu, who is the creator of Mrs. Sidhu Investigates, a cozy British mystery currently airing in the U.S. on Acorn TV. Amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about Mrs. Sidhu Investigates for people who haven't seen it yet? So the main thing you need to know is that the titular character is an Indian auntie. That is a mild-mannered, middle-aged lady who likes to help solve problems for the people in her life. She's Miss Marple, if Miss Marple were a 60-something Sikh widow with a lovable goofball of a not-quite-grown-up son and endless reserves of empathy. She's a caterer, which turns out to be a fantastic way of getting her into a lot of different workplaces and settings. Actually, let's listen to a clip from the show to get a sense of its emotional warmth. We'll hear the great Mira Sayal as Mrs. Sidhu and Gurjeet Singh as her son, Tez. Tez, what is the biggest fear of your life? Aliens. Not alien invasion, but literally the film Aliens will be rebooted by a second-rate director. I think the biggest fear of anyone's life is not being seen and not being loved. Granny needs me now and I have to go. Well, what about all the food? Granny, it's really done. You just turn the oven off in ten minutes and turn the bodies in the fryer in two. I can't do all that without a recipe. Yes, you got this. I see you and I love you. Go! <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so do our uh, Slate Plus members get a little bit extra under the tree this week? Indeed they do. I asked Suk to tell me about his favorite TV mystery series, and his answer was surprisingly revealing. Amazing. You've you've planted a little mystery in our heads that we need to yes. have solved. And if you are a Slate Plus member, the solution to that mystery will be waiting for you at the end of this week's episode. If you're not already a Slate Plus member, I mean... Really, what are you waiting for? You get wonderful bonus segments of shows like the one that you just heard about. You get full episodes of shows like Big Mood, Little Mood or Decoder Ring. You get full access behind the paywall at Slate and you get to support everything that we do right here on Working. Go to Slate.com slash Working Plus to sign up today. All right, now let's listen in on June's conversation with TV writer Sook Panu. So, 
Sukpanu, thank you for joining us on Working to talk about your creative process. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. So I wanted to talk with you because Mrs. Sidhu Investigates, a show that you created, is coming to the States on Acorn TV in September. And I wanted to learn more about how the show came about. So first, I guess, how would you describe the show? I would describe it as a murder mystery thriller with comedy and with heart and soul. I think it's a sort of show that gets you involved in a, in a great plot, of an exciting, thrilling ride with plots and twists and turns, but also kind of gives you a hug and <laughs> makes you smile, you know. So it's good entertainment, I think. But we're in the midst of that, we tell a great story. So how did you dream up the show's concept? Because my understanding is that for much of your career, you were writing sketch comedy and topical humour and that kind of, you know, set-up joke kind of stuff. Where did Mrs. Sidhu come from? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was kind of um, schooled in comedy. But it, actually, the kind of core concept of this comes from my earliest days. So, you know, I grew up, the, the show is set in Slough, which <laughs> I, I know to use a brick will mean something <laughs> that resonates yes, in yes. some way. Yes. Uh, it's kind of the underdog town, you know, it's kind of this concrete thing. The weird and interesting thing about Slough is it's plonked down right in the middle of the most expensive real estate in the country. You know, you've got Windsor Castle. The Royal Castle. County of Exactly, the Royal County of Berkshire. You've got Windsor Castle just a few miles away, so Royals shacked up within almost view of the place. You've got Eton College down the road where all our prime ministers were schooled, you know, and you've got this lush and lovely countryside. So we've got these great locations, uh, the river, the Cheviot Hills, you know, wonderful kind of visual stuff too. And um, when I grew up, we were, we were brought up by our parents, but we were also brought up by our aunties. And these aunties were amazing women, you know, lots of love. They made lots of great food, but they also had a really strong moral core and they also were able to wheedle all your secrets out of you. They knew what you, <laughs> they knew what you were up to before you did after time. And I thought back in those days, I was sort of growing up and I got really into escapist fiction like Miss Marple, you know, all these great, uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. I loved all that mystery stuff. I thought one day, wouldn't it be amazing if one of these aunties was going to be a great super sleuth? So, you know, forward wind, forward wind, you know, <laughs> I, I get to a point where I, I'm, you know, writing jokes and sketches and all these things. And people start maybe asking for a little more and, and kind of, have you got an idea? And um, I, had, <laughs> I had an idea for a, a radio sitcom, which got made, which did one whole series for a, a kind of um, a, a guru who solved crimes mm. uh, as a kind of, you know, almost like a golden age kind of... Um, murder mystery thing but I, I parlayed it into this sitcom so I got a kind of a, a little head start I go oh, wow okay so he's, he's written a series that's something what's next <laughs> what's next so I, I managed to pitch this this nascent idea I had about this this amazing woman who could solve crimes no dice no the radio <laughs> interested it's been a long journey on this one so pitched it to telly no it, it got mirror uh, attached Mira Seal, who's our who's our star, attached right. to it back then, so, and she's always been a great supporter and, and ally of the show. And again, wasn't the right time. Grittier crime was was more the thing. Mm. These these cycles come round eventually. I, I yep. mention it to someone again. It it sort of catches the imagination. 
and uh, we get a radio show. Yeah. So we got it commissioned as a comedy show in the comedy slot on Radio 4 as four half hours for a series. And I thought, well, the thing to do here is to do one mystery across those four half hours, yeah, do a two-hour yeah. story yeah. and start building the characters. And so that was the real start of it. That radio show did tremendously well. It really caught people's imaginations and um, got a lot of fantastic press coverage. Every national newspaper had it as, has their pick of the day or week every, and we got it on pick of the week, which is like the radio Oscars here. I'm, I'm overplaying <laughs> this hugely for your No, audience. no, not at all. But, absolutely. It is but, absolutely... Yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, Pick of the Week here is a Radio Four show where it's curated by a different person each time and, and they pick their favorite shows of the week. And if you get on, yeah. you feel great. And uh, yeah. so, so we got on with that with both series of the show. So it had a good kind of taking off ramp, I think, yeah. uh, when, when we then go telly. Yeah, it's really good radio, very funny. It's not quite the same as the TV show. I mean, like obviously, Missy Sidhu is at the center of it. Mira Sayal is is the you know the great actress at the center of it. But there's a slight different, and I wonder about the challenges of adapting a radio concept to TV, even with the same concept. You know, there's not that no. much change. You've got the Missy Sidhu. You've got her son. Is uh, maybe a little nicer in the TV show, or a little more cooperative. Uh, you know her her deceased relatives, the, the the relationship with the policeman, but a lot of other things feel different. I think maybe because TV demands that you have changes. I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think radio and TV kind of demand different things. Yeah. But I prefer to think about it as what each of those media kind of afford you as a writer. You know, what, mm. what opportunities and what, what's the sort of natural language they speak. So I'd done a lot of radio and, and I'd kind of developed an idea that radio is quite intimate. You know, that, that it's really kind of quite close to you. And a lot of people listen to radio while they're doing something else. You know, sometimes yeah. you're cooking or maybe you've got some paperwork to do and it's kind of your friend in the room. So there's a kind of very natural intimacy about radio and it kind of makes you want to tell a story in a certain way. So yes. the, the radio series is quite fairy tale You know, we're using sound to best effect. It's more comedic, I'd say, as well. Again, mm. it was in a comedy slot, so we're very aware yeah. that, you know, the audience, they're expecting that in that slot. Yeah. Um, so there's more sort of jokes, per se. Uh, TV, as soon as I, you know, when we got this opportunity, I thought, this is, and I wanted to do a 90-minute Mm. Show, which is kind of cutting back from a two-hour story in a way. I sort of felt right. like, wow, I've been able to do a two-hour story. You know, 90 minutes shouldn't be so hard, should it? Right, <laughs> well, right. Right, right. But different challenges. And um, I think you want to be able to tell, especially in a 90-minute feature length, you know, that's a, that's a film. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be yeah. able to tell cinematic stories, you know, yeah. th things with that kind of pull and that kind of drama. And uh, the kind of the other thing, that I think is really interesting about both is is the question of budget. I mean, radio has tiny budgets in terms of the numbers, so mm. we had to do all sorts of things. Like we had actors doubling up. Mm. You know, if you want six or seven characters, you can afford maybe three three actors of the week plus your your regular cast. And that was an yeah. interesting challenge because that shapes how the ages of your characters. One yes. character playing two parts needs to be 
very different in, in both of them. Yeah. And, and TV has much bigger budgets. Uh, but the problem is, I suppose the, the interesting is that in radio, um, in production terms, your budget's infinite. Right. You can put them on a spaceship. You can yeah. have airplanes or, or explode. One of, or one of the radio series is in a very fancy, fancy house with stables and, yeah. and you know, just all, follies and all kinds of things. And you, yes. and you can imagine this house is just the fanciest mansion, you know, the great stately home, but you don't have yes. to pay anything. To, no, to and we had snow. You know, we were able. It, it, this, the, you know, it's a part of the, the plot. They're snowed in, and you know, kind of. <laughs> then you start talking to TV people. Can we do that? I say, well, that would be quite hard. <laughs> you know, half your budget's going to just go on that. And go, okay. Well, well, we'll think again. So the telly budgets are bigger, but you have to be somewhat more realistic about it. Yeah. So it, it was an interesting and a new challenge to go. But I mean, what's consistent across both is that the the bedrock of it is an you know, an intriguing plot. You know, a murder th mystery thriller plot is, for me, the kind of ground level. We get that in place and you can have a lot of fun, you know, with the medium you're working with. Yeah. So, yes, we pitched it to telly. We got Monumental uh, uh, Interesting, which is great, fantastic production company. And I, <laughs> I thought, you know, what, what do I really want this to be? And I think the concept... As you say, it's the same. It's, a, it's this nosy Indian caterer, auntie, solving crimes. She's from Slough. This is really important to me, I think, also, that she's from an Asian culture. She's like me. She's straddling two cultures. Mm -hmm, she's mm -hmm. from an Asian culture. She's got the wisdom, the hard knocks from that. But she's got agency outside. She can mm -hmm. take that into the, the bigger world. She can be a brown saviour. Is you know kind of a shorthand. <laughs> she, so I thought that that's so important to me to to be able to convey that you know to 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 make sure that's still happening. So that that part of the concept uh, for me was yes, absolutely, that must happen. So let's talk a little bit about another thing that is required in TV, even though, as you say, in a sense, it's a smaller space. You've got one and a half hours to tell a story rather than two hours. But you also have another requirement that you don't really have in radio, and that is the kind of the serial element. You know, British seasons are famously shorter than Americans' one. There's four 90-minute episodes of Mrs. Sidhu, but there are still some serial elements, um, you know, things that develop slowly over the course of the season, hopefully into the next one. So was that something that you naturally wanted to incorporate, or was that something that you... You kind of had to bolt on afterward. How did that come into things? No, I, I kind of always really wanted a serial element. In fact, there were some early on, some even sort of stronger serial mm -hmm. kind of lines to it, which kind of got pulled in. Again, you know, the, you know, it's all practical stuff in a way. The economy yes. of telling the story, how much you want to lean on a serial element of the story and actually telling the story of the week. And of course, story of the week has yeah. to kind of come to the top, yes. um, you know, uh, and, and they're quite complex stories. They're very multi-layered. Yes, lots of twists and turns, yes. Yeah, but also you've got, there's a, I mean, I build them in layers. So yeah, there's a, there's a plot twist. And then there's, because it's an amateur sleuth, you have a slightly different problem to a, uh, kind of a, a detective show because detectives yes. knock on doors, they interview people, yeah. they rugby tackle them down and, and <laughs> you know, get the answers. And if it's the wrong answer, they move on to the next one. A kind of a linear procession. Yeah. Whereas these are kind of, you know, echoing, if you like, that, that uh, Agatha Christie kind of idea uh, built around situations, sort of existing 
kind of networks of relationships yes. that are yes. then tested by a murder. And then our amateur sleuth comes in and starts being part of that world and, and yes. tweaking at what's going on. So that, that all is kind of, you, you needs to be built in before she kind of <laughs> can get right. going. So it's right. quite a, a, a hard and time-consuming, very rewarding when it comes yes, off. Yes, yes, yes. I think yes. once, if all those layers come together to a good conclusion, I think you feel by the end of the episode, oh my God, I really had my, my money's worth here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also, as a viewer, you, it kind of adds a layer to the, the I mean, I, I fully understand the challenges of the serial elements. Again, the time, you want the stories to stand alone. But it also adds a layer, for example, there's, um, you know, just for people who haven't seen it yet, um, in addition to the police man who Mrs. Sidhu mostly works with and forms a partnership with, uh, there's a his boss, as it were, a senior policeman. And we get a sense that there's some relationship, there's some connection between this policeman and Mrs. Sidhu's father, who was also a policeman. And that... I don't believe was present in the radio, but uh, it's really, you know, it's small. It's it's almost hardly there, but it, it's enough to set a seed in, in the viewer's brain of like, huh, what's going on with DeVries and Mrs. Sidhu or with her father, who isn't, you know, obviously isn't there. He's deceased. Um, so, yeah, it it pays off, but it must, I can totally see that it's a lot of extra work that you have to put in to, to introduce yeah. those elements. And it, it's not just the work you put in, it's then you go, well, you're running to 90 minutes. If you're running to 95, what, what are you going to pull out of here? And yeah. um, I think that, that I mean, even in the writing, not, not necessarily in the editing, um, yeah. you're going, yeah. well, yeah, if we can do that in a more economical way, it's, you know. So, yeah, it is definitely something to toy with. I will not reveal too much, you know. <laughs> Darn. Yeah, but yes, there, there's definitely something there uh-huh. that we can work with for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Well, okay, we definitely need season two now. We'll be back with more of June's conversation with Sook Panu after this. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, listeners, Isaac Butler here. Just wanted to say really quickly that if you're enjoying what you're listening to right now uh, and you haven't done so already... 
why not tap that subscribe button on your podcast app? That way you will never miss an episode. And if you are enjoying what you hear and you already subscribe and you want to know what more you could do to help us, uh, maybe leave us a nice review or rate us however you might do that on your podcast app. Like give us five stars on Apple or click the little star thing on Overcast or whatever the method is of your choice. Those things actually really do help us find new listeners. Uh, All right. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. So as we've talked a little bit about Missy Sidhu, as we've said, played by the amazing Mira Sayal, she is, as well as being a fantastic actor, she's an incredibly talented writer of screenplays, of books. She can do it all, indeed. You've worked with her for more than 20 years, starting, I think, with Goodness Gracious Me and the Kumars at number 42. Did you create the character of Mrs. Sidhu with her in mind? Yeah, it's an interesting one. When I, yeah, I mean, I definitely had worked with, with Mira uh, and always thought, well, wouldn't it be great to to do something with her? That When I first pushed it, I just sort of went, well, you know, here's an idea. And I haven't talked to the star, but wouldn't it be great if? Uh-huh. But when I finally did talk to her, I mean, some years after that, she loved it. And, and that, that was so, well, you know, it kind of gives you heart and confidence. You kind of go, yes. oh, yeah, yeah. It's, there's yeah. something here. And um, something that she obviously thinks is, is playable for her as well, you know, that, yep. that she can relate to and, and bring, you know, the, the talent she's got to it. So, yeah, from that moment on, and this is a real never give up story as well, because, you know, having had it knocked back for a decade and more, to finally get it on radio, leave alone telly, yeah. was kind of like, oh, you know, talk about what, what, what do you do every day? What you do every <laughs> day as a writer is you have bad ideas. You know, that, that is what you, that is actually the living. You have bad ideas because you know that you'll get good ones, that there'll be a piece of gold in all that coal. <laughs> and, but this one, I always, always knew from the go that it was a really, good solid concept that it, with the right person uh, as mr sidhu would would fly so it was always one of those kind of there's got to be something this is this is going to fly one day <laughs> this will go. so i never really yeah i uh, to me asked me what my what what if any skill i had and i i think it's delusion i think i, I always <laughs> had this delusion that it would yeah would, of course we'll make a we'll make a radio show we'll make a tv show too um mirasal is also credited with providing some material in the two episodes of season one that you wrote. I'm just yeah. curious again, as a as a super fan, what did that involve? Well, I think it involved giving Mira some leeway with the way she wanted to inhabit her character and uh, and jokes too. I mean, she's one hell of a funny lady. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's she's you know there are cracking uh, lines that she's put in and moments that she really wanted to to show and, and to put out there. And it's it's all good. It's it's only good, I think, to the final product. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, slow, and to me, it's the slow of this show is that there are you know there are a few things that land for Brits in a certain way. I, you know, I've never been to. Why should I have been to slow? But there's something about the word slow. You don't have yeah. to have been there, but as a Brit, you kind of you you get that that resonance. But that won't be there for. 
Americans or for people from other countries. And, you know, ACON does give you this international platform. So were you conscious of kind of trying to signal some of the British elements to outsiders, as it were? <laughs> yeah, I know. I I've done some some press with with uh, some American journalists, and and of course the first thing I do is explain Slough, <laughs> what it means, how it, how it, as you say, hits the ear of British people. I think it just started with that John Betjeman poem, and has built up from there. Come friendly bombs fall yes. on Slough. It's had this reputation, and yet it's a great place. It's actually <laughs> been re-energized. It's full of you know great. People, immigrants who came here to work. So in some ways, it's a real salt of the earth place yeah. and, and has got this kind of bad rap, really. Yeah. And yeah. so, I, you know, I, I, one of my strap lines was, Slough needs a hero. <laughs> that, it's almost conveyed in, you know, the, the shots of her house, uh, the kind of quality of vehicle she's driving. You know, I think it's a nice van. It, yeah. it is. It's, it's all right. It works, yeah. let's face yeah. it. And, uh, but my my dad had a van like that. It was, it was sort of, <laughs> again. So I think that the important thing for me was to just say know that she's an underdog. Yeah, you know that, yeah, that she's from yeah. a place that when she goes out into this bigger kind of high stakesy glossy world, that we know that she's kind of down there in, in the pecking order. Yeah, and that's gonna you know, but she's still gonna get on top of all this, all yeah. this mystery and all these yeah. bad folks doing bad yeah. things. So yeah. I think if that's there, then I think you are working out what Slough is from context. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. This is a very multicultural show, but it is also relevant, I think, that it's a show whose title character and two of the three central characters are South Asian. And there are still very few shows that you can say that of. And in the US, of, let's say, the handful I can think of, they've either been made by Mindy Kaling or Aziz Ansari. Yeah. And obviously, Mir Sayal was one of the pioneers of British-Asian representation. But Mrs. Sidhu is a very different character from the character um, Mira played in... Uh, Ami, yeah. Yeah, Sammy and Rosie, or Goodness Gracious Me, or Rote in Baji on the Beach. Those are from decades ago. Today, Britain's Prime Minister and Home Secretary are of Asian heritage. Uh, Scotland's First Minister, I live in Scotland. Scotland's First Minister is British Asian, as is the head of the Scottish Labour Party. Are you conscious of creating a different kind of Asian character in 2023 for a different generation of British Asian viewers, or for viewers generally? Oh, I've got goosebumps. That's right. <laughs> you know, I never even I don't think of it in those terms. But if that's something we've done, then I'm very proud. You know, if people watching go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, I said, you know, earlier, I think that it was really important for me that and I think that probably is the kind of difference as well, is that she's got agency in the in the bigger world. It isn't yeah. just a question of her wandering around Slough. It's her going out you know, and really being part of the sort of thing that a super sleuth like Miss Marple could only solve till yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely there's that. I think that that would be a proud achievement if if we've created that, you know, go, well, you can you can see now that, you know, an Asian woman can solve your problems, that, right. you know, we're, we're part of this world. Yeah. Uh, and why can't we be super sleuths? Why can't, you know, it isn't just, you know, old biddies, from the 30s and 40s it's it's now she's yeah. a very as you say and really a lot of that is is 
with Mira, you know, the, the characters she's built on screen, it's different again, subtly from the radio character. So yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're lucky in that. There's, there's, I think, again, this is sort of the slight radio transition. I mean, again, radio, you can tweak a bit around fantasy, mm-hmm. realism level. I mean, you're dictated to a level in realism by the basic concept. This is an Indian auntie solving crimes. Yeah. You know, there's there's a limit. There's a reality limit you're going to hit there. But we also knew that as we went into TV, we watched a lot of crime shows and that people are very sophisticated knowing what the, what the police do. Would they do this? Would they do that? So we sort of, sort of teasing around some of that a bit to, to just get the levels right there. Yeah. You know, would these characters open up to her? Is that real or is it... Does she need to get, you know, so there was a lot of discussion and mm-hmm. writing and rewriting around that in the first series mm-hmm. to establish its own tone, its yeah. own reality and making that consistent. And I think that consistency is the, the key thing. Yeah. Yeah, because maybe it's because there were, you know, whatever, 26, maybe even more episodes of Murder, She Wrote in every season. But like it got to be almost a joke that like, don't go anywhere near her because, you know, there's a murder every week. And, you know, when there are four episodes, that's less of an issue. But, like, to what extent were you kind of conscious of, like, that realism is challenged by there being, oh, she's here again on the scene of a murder. Like, because you yeah, have to have I, that. That's that's necessary. You do. You do. I, it kind of, maybe it doesn't bother me enough. It bothers me <laughs> less than, than others in the room. I kind of like, yeah, this is... I think at the end of the day, know who you're writing for yeah. and know the type of pleasure they're trying to extract. And if you're looking for this kind of murder mystery plot with an amateur sleuth, you kind of accept that <laughs> someone's kind of dropped dead at their feet every so often. Yeah. Because yeah. how many, how many marples, you know, were written? I've never heard anyone yeah. complain. Yeah. You know, but unless you're writing a parody, and this is really yeah. important, that, that of course you you can make parodies of of these things because you can make a parody of Murder She Wrote simply because it is such a successful format. Right. How right. how many episodes? Right. Right. But of course, it's so successful, it becomes a yeah. parody. It becomes so familiar. Everyone's oh, it's formulaic. Oh, it's this and that. But do try and rewind to to the beginning in my opinion anyway go well this is this is a victim of its own success would that we got to that you know i'll I'll happily do the the return interview with you yeah exactly i was gonna say 10 seasons time and and yeah yeah are you getting tired is it is it you know is it taking yeah once you exceed the number of episodes of murder she wrote we'll definitely do an interview (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, book it book it now for sure um why did you make her a chef (laughs) <laughs> or a caterer because um, uh, I, I love food <laughs> well it's a very I tell you what, it's sort of her backstory I think it's because you know she's sort of between generations so in you know women particularly in Asian culture are brought up with certain expectations and that she was married her kind of life was maybe being you know what's called a homemaker I think euphemistically but cooking, cleaning, looking after kids, that sort of thing. And that when her husband died, he left her with a bunch of debts and she parlayed 
this experience into something positive. She rolled up her sleeves, did the immigrant thing and said, right, I, I know how to cook. I can turn this into something that will give me a life raft and pay off these debts and, and help with my son. So I thought it was always a very positive thing that she could do that had that come really from a kind of negative, if you like, in her life in springboarding into something very, because she's a very positive character, she's a very optimistic character in lots of ways. So she, this was kind of why I thought, well, yeah, catering is, and a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of great Asian female caterers out there. (laughs) And and now... Including in uh, Slow, yeah. uh, Very much in Slow. But, (laughs) you know, there are a lot of TV chefs, you know, that that sort of blossomed uh, as well. I think there's a love of food in the culture. And I think with her, with her kind of, She's, you know, kind of a self-taught intellectual in a way. So mm-hmm. I think that she aspires to not just cooking, but chefing, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. making fusion foods, to adopting the French techniques for, for cooking, you know, really doing it right. Yeah. You know, and that, that, cause that's the cornerstone of catering of cooking now is, is detail and, and method and pro- everything we do in writing, process, yeah. all those things. And I, the, I worked in catering as a young man to, you know, pay my my uh, rent and what have you uh-huh. so i've got you know a little experience in that world bar work a lot yeah. of waiting yeah. uh, a lot of kitchen pot scrubbing so i always thought it was a great high pressure world in itself yeah yeah watch the bear watch you know it's exactly. kind of uh, yeah yeah, you know, yeah. It, it yeah. Is, it's incredible how much drama you can screw out of a simple thing like cooking getting meals yeah. out on time yeah. And, you know, for this bridge character who's, you know, generationally a bridge between, you know, different iterations of British Asian culture, but also so much of the quote unquote acceptance or, or you know, integration of Asian culture in Britain was through food that, you know, what is the 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 most popular dish in Britain or the most British dish? Chicken tikka masala, you know, yeah. for better yeah. or for worse. Um, yeah. You know, Indian food is the most popular food in Britain, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I also think it, it brings another visceral element into well, both the radio and, and the TV show, which is making people feel hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've you got an extra, extra sort of weapon in, in, yeah. in the armoury there, which is I do sometimes feel very hungry writing this stuff. Yeah. And But if you can sort of just bring that along, it... Um, I think it just makes also a more winning character. The the idea that you can feed someone a little bit and get to know them yeah. is a bridge for her to other people as well. Yeah. Sukpanu, thank you so much for talking to us about your process and for introducing us to some of the aspects of Mrs. Sidhu Investigates. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jean. When we come back, June and I will discuss radio in the United Kingdom, holding on to ideas good and bad, and how to fake confidence until you make it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget. 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. June, I know we've mentioned this a couple times, but can you talk a bit about the importance of scripted radio in the UK? Because that is a part of the cultural ecosystem there that is vitally important, and we don't really have it. Yeah, totally. It is hugely important in all kinds of ways. I mean, for British actors, it's the UK equivalent of Law and Order and that it gets its own section of the British equivalent of the playbill. And of course, it's a source of income for actors, but it is especially important for writers. Just to take one example, and it is the main example, but on BBC Radio 4, every weekday, there is a 15-minute episode of The Archers, which is a radio soap opera that's been on the air for 72 years. 72 years? That's all. That's all it is. Yes, 72 years. A 75-minute original play in the drama on four slots, then usually a half-hour serialized play just before the midnight news. But that's not all because, as was the case with Mrs. Sidhu, a lot of the shows that are programmed in the comedy slots on the daily lineup are actually radio dramas. So it's a lot of content. And Radio has traditionally been a place where writers have broken in and the BBC provides a bunch of materials and help documents that can aid people learn how to write a radio play. We'll link to some of that stuff on our show page. And every high-end British newspaper and magazine also has a radio critic. So it's even a potential specialization for would-be critics. Amazing. Uh, I really love how old the idea for <laughs> Mrs. Sid Who Investigates is. Yeah. You know, it comes from, I mean, it almost sounded like when he was a teenager, he's like, huh, what if my auntie were a master detective? And then he holds on to it and holds on to it and holds on to it. And eventually, you know, he needs an idea for a radio show and he kind of digs that one up and, and then it becomes a TV show. That's amazing. And maybe it's because I first had the idea for the method and just just jotted down the method of history in a notebook like a decade before oh. I proposed it. But it's worth noting that if you have an idea floating around, hold on to it. Don't judge it and throw it out. Don't forget about it because you don't have time to work on it just then. You know, let it marinate. Something will come of it. Just because an idea is old to you doesn't mean that it's not going to be the the right thing when the right moment comes along. Oh, absolutely. Hold on to it. Keep returning to it. Noodle it at the back of your mind. Actively engage with it. We're all juggling a million tasks and projects all the time. But don't let those daily exigencies smother those long gestating ideas and notions that get totally lodged in your brain. As Mrs. Sidhu might put it, not all dishes need the same amount of time in the oven. Personally, I'm not a baker, but the Bake Off's back, so obviously that's in my mind. I also want to mention that Sukpanu is also turning Mrs. Sidhu Investigates into a mystery novel. Later, oh my God. This, <laughs> later this month, Mrs. Sidhu's Dead and Scone will be published in the UK. So listeners, nurture those ideas and one day they might become a multi-platform synergistic juggernaut. Amazing. And and your accent also reveals the pun in the title, whereas mm, mine would I, not. You'd just be like dead and scone. What the heck is that? <laughs> um, 
I really enjoyed him articulating his approach to genre where he doesn't see it as this limiting checklist you have to go through, but, but instead as a sort of, there's a capaciousness to it, right? Like as long as you hit those beats in a reasonably satisfying way that the person coming to a cozy mystery or a space opera or whatever it is, (laughs) you can actually do all of this other stuff. I'm reminded of, you know, one of the mystery authors I love is Philip Kerr, who did this Berlin noir trilogy, which traces the, the decline of Berlin as the Nazis take over after the end of the Weimar Republic, but through a kind of Philip Marlowe-esque, you know, jaded private eye who looks for missing persons, or Walter Mosley, who's maybe the greatest author of the Great Migration in Black mm-hmm, Experience, but mm-hmm. he does it through the Easy Rollins murder mysteries. I, I'm just wondering how you feel about all this. Yeah, I love it. I also want to shout out another kind of mystery writer. I'm now, I think, five of seven into Adrian McKinty's Sean Duffy mysteries. And they're set in Northern Ireland uh, during the Troubles. And I would have been interested, I think, if they were just a basic mystery set in the Troubles. But he finds a way to comment in a really interesting way on the historical events of those times. I just learned something about Oliver North by reading one of his books. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, to get back to Sukpanu, that idea came up in lots of ways in the interview. And what really struck me was the importance of knowing who you're writing for and what they're expecting. You know, never go into something thinking, oh, this isn't a gritty, realistic cop drama, which is like, those are good. This is just a silly old lady cater solving crimes fantasy kind of thing. No, you have to respect the genre and what your potential viewers are seeking from it. And obviously, you know, it's good to play with the conventions of the genre. This isn't a hall pass for inventiveness, but... There are some guardrails. If you're doing cozy, you can't ignore feelings. If you're writing mysteries, the resolution and the explanation have to make sense. As a creator, you have to respect your audience and the history and traditions that they bring with them when they sit down to read or watch your work. But Isaac, before you ask your next question, I must note that it was really hard for me to call Mira Sayal an old lady because A, she looks amazing. She is amazing. But B, she and I are exactly the same age. So again, doubly hard. But that's part of the genre, which requires the amateur investigator to be condescended to and underestimated by everyone around her. You know, there's a that's an important element that you need to be conscious of. No matter how much you think, oh, that person is amazing. You have to be aware that others may not appreciate their talents and, and you kind of have to write from what the viewers are expecting. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I will say that I don't think of you as an old lady <laughs> and I think that you look amazing. I just want to just want to put that out there. Oh, I loved his thing about the superpower of delusion, right? Yes. Uh, I'm reminded of this thing that happened when I was in graduate school. Dennis Johnson, the great late, now late Dennis Johnson, who among other things wrote Jesus's son, came for a campus visit and we were all having lunch, all the grad students, and someone asked him some version of, you know, what gets you to sit down at the computer and write in the morning? And he said with a bit of a chuckle, well, I have to start every book thinking it's going to win the Pulitzer and the National Book Award and I'm going to get a Nobel for it. (laughs) I have to imagine it's going to be huge or else I'm not going to write it. You know, I have to just trick myself into doing that. And I loved the honesty of that. I mean, he had a sense of humor about it, but he was telling the truth. And I think what both he and uh, Mr. Panu were talking about is that confidence in your work is a choice that you can make. And even if you don't feel like it, 
and you can kind of fake it a little bit until you feel like it. I, I know that you are deep into the production process and the copy editing phase of your book, which was for me anyway, actually the most emotionally grueling, difficult time of the writing process. And so I'm wondering, as you sit down to argue over semicolons with your copy editor, <laughs> are you saying, ah, yeah, Pulitzer time for June? It's very hard for me to say this, but yes. I mean, there are so many ways of, of putting this that can yeah! sound completely deluded or arrogant or monumentally unrealistic. But I do think that you have to establish what your wildest ambitions are for any project that you undertake. I mean, Isaac, I hope you know that I realize that there is just an outside possibility that my book will not run the table and win every single award in existence and might not sell a million copies. But also some part of you has to believe that it could. You know, right. you need to know where you would like your rocket ship of a project to land. I mean, is the thing you're writing a throwaway news story with a maximum lifetime of two hours? Is it a book that people are going to be referring to for decades into the future? The answer to that question shapes the scope and how much effort you put in and the sacrifices you make for it. So yeah, if you want to make something great, I think you do have to believe that you can make something great. Well, June, I look forward to your scrupulously researched uh, archival dive, journalistically <laughs> rendered story of lesbian cultural life in the 20th century. We'll win, among other things, uh, <laughs> the Pulitzer Prize for poetry, uh, the Booker Prize for international fiction. I mean, Absolutely. I just think you should just win everything, including categories that are co a Tony Award for Best <laughs> New Musical. I, I think you should get them all. Awesome. Well, thank you in my acceptance speech for at least 15 of them. Okay, great. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please remember to subscribe. That way you will never miss an episode. Another thing you should just do already, if you haven't, is subscribe to Slate Plus. You'll get ad-free episodes of our podcasts, full access behind the paywall on the Mothership site. You'll get bonus episodes, bonus segments of episodes, all sorts of goodies. And you get to support what we do right here on Working. Go to slate.com slash working plus to sign up today. Many thanks to our special guest this week, Suk Panu, and to our producer, Cameron Drews, who would make an amazing amateur detective. Tune in next week for Isaac's conversation with the great actor, Patrick Page. Until then, get back to work. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.